0: I think, Scott, ooh, like I just got filled with the Spirit. Take your Bibles this evening, and if you will, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to do a lot of walking through the Word of God this evening. I have, it's Sunday night, so it's much more teaching style and much more comfortable for us. It's not so much the Sunday morning exhortation. And over the next two Sunday nights, I'm going to preach or teach, if you will, on the state of Israel. How many, and this is not a bad thing or a good thing, but just by reference, how many over the last month have either seen or posted Pray for Israel on either their social media or in conversation? Good. Many of us have. Good. Or we maybe have seen it posted. Now, certainly, the Bible commends to us that we are to pray for Israel. Tonight, what I want to do, if I can, is talk about, this week and next week, historically the state of Israel, so that we can understand the place that we find ourselves in the world today, because it seems <clears throat> that many people are worried, nervous, concerned about the events of the present day. And, and can I tell you something? If you know Christ as your savior, while it is appalling to see what is going on in many instances, it ought to be encouraging because the end is here. Now, I'm not preaching tonight that it's next Tuesday or 5 weeks from tomorrow, but I'm saying we are at the end of the end. There's many things that Paul and Peter as apostles looked for and longed for. But when AD 70 came and Jerusalem was decimated stone by stone, picked apart, both of them, had they still been alive, would have... Looked and wondered, I'm sure the Apostle John, his writing in the epistles is absolutely impacted by what he was observing because Israel in AD 90 was no longer a state. How could these things be? How can there be a rapture? How can there be a tribulation? When will all of these things be? And we see it all. We live in the most exciting of exciting times. I mean, there are times where I would punch a ticket to go back if I had a time machine and see. I would love to be there on day one of creation. I don't know how you would do that because man wasn't made until day six. But I would love to be there to see nothingness of chaos and light. It'd be glorious. It'd be fantastic. But can I tell you something? In the human events or the history of human events... The rapture is the next most exciting thing after light being created because God's existence and our creation had begun. The next most exciting thing for the believer in Jesus Christ is the trumpet sounds and we're called up together. And so while what we see is worrisome and certainly it's gruesome, I I would commend to you, by the way, you probably ought not consume a lot of it. Well, I just want to be in the know. Well, there's some things you don't need to know. I mean, there's some things that were done to children that I don't need to know. I mean, it turns my stomach and it makes me sick as a father of three. I I just, the depravity of man has been on display. So there's a lot to talk about when it comes to Israel. Let let me make a couple statements for you, and then I'm going to open the floor since it's Sunday night. I'm going to open the floor for you to... Give some insight or give some perspective. And then I will teach and preach, I promise. And, and I will rein it in. So I'm not asking for a soapbox moment, right, where you're going to stand up and say, I believe this. Right. Just some ideas. I want to get from you what you know about the state of Israel. What you know the Bible says. I hope, did we all get notes tonight? Yes, no, maybe so. If, did anybody need a set of notes? Okay, good. Everybody that wanted notes, got notes. Those that don't want notes don't care. I love it. Good. Let me make a couple of statements then tonight. All right, number one. You should support Israel. Paul, when he was writing to the Romans in Romans chapters uh, 9, 10, and 11, he deals with the suspension of Israel in God's blessing, or the state of Israel being set in suspension. He picks back up in chapter 12, starts talking about service and your service to God. But in those suspension chapters, he says... If I could essentially, if I could give myself for Israel, if I could die for them, I would. His heart's desire, he says in another passage, is that Israel might be saved. Well, dispensationally, we've shifted from Israel being the focus and the law to the church, the age of grace, the time in which we live. And so Paul is saying, though, you should support Israel, even though Israel had rejected the Messiah. The second statement that I will make is this this evening. And this is going to be controversial for some of you, but stick with me till the end if we make it there tonight or at least come back till next week and you'll see what I mean by this in its fullness. I believe America was built by God for the express purpose of supporting and restoring Israel. Prove me wrong. I mean, if all of history is winding down to a conclusion, wouldn't you think that America, the United States of America, and the force that we are, wouldn't we be mentioned in Bible prophecy? And the answer is, you find it in there. I can't find it. It is quite absent, and it's quite perplexing to me as a kid that grew up in a home with a weekend warrior father who served his country for 27 years. It's hard for me to put together how we can't be there. And, and I've read, as a pastor, I've read many different commentaries, many different authors, many different uh, philosophy and, and prophecy experts. And all of them, at the best, can pull strings like we might be in the book of Isaiah, the hammer of God that brings out His justice. Really? That's all He called us? And the answer is we either don't exist or the rapture, which I think ultimately is part of the solution as well, the rapture comes and we are taken away. So all of that is to say America was built, I believe, for the intent and express purpose in the history of human events to bring Israel back into a statehood and have the military force behind it so that it could. And we have. What else is there to do? Now, the last statement I'll make is this. The sins of our nation's past have led us to the point where hundreds of thousands are marching in the streets of our capital protesting militantly, supposedly many of them living rent-free in our cities and on our college campuses. This is the thanks we get, and the answer is no, this is the price that we must pay for our lack of diligence in holding to the Word of God as a country. It's just the truth. Now, with that said, I'm going to listen for a few minutes. What can you tell me from the Bible... Give me reasons from the word of God why we should support Israel. Go. They're God's, They're God's people. I can always count on my mom to answer first. Good. That's right, mom. What do you got, Debbie? <clears throat> God said to Abraham that many nations will come from him And we are to support Israel for that very people. Because of the faith of Abraham. Amen. Very good answer. Good. What are some other reasons we should support Israel? They don't all have to be like high and holy Bible answers, by the way. His with Abraham. Right, and we're gonna—that's one we're gonna talk about, brother Harry. Good. Can anybody in here at least give me one political reason why we should support Israel? Edward. And the Israelis in the land had the same land with the same name, speaking the same language same culture, and worship the same God as they have done for the last 3,000 years. That's right. You cannot say the same for any of the nations around any them. In the world. Yeah. That's a good reason. Go ahead, Scott. I think the Middle East is scared of <laughs> The Middle East is scared of them. That, that's probably true. Karen, what do you have? I, I think uh, as as a former... My minor in college was political science. I think that of the secular arguments is the most compelling. You're not having some tin pot dictator king who set himself up and is abusing or misusing his power or her power, though I don't think in the Middle East there's any hers. Uh, for the intent of self-worth, self-gain, like you have in many of the others. I mean, even the many of the affluent ones, like Saudi Arabia or others, they're just doing it for their own material gain. But in Israel, and politics being set aside, there's no perfect political system except for the God theocracy that will be in the Millennial Kingdom. When we look at the Middle East, they are the closest politically aligned to the way we do business. Almost every part of their political construct is, is modeled after ours. Think that through for a second. All of our founding fathers modeled our system of government off the Judeo-Christian values, and now the modern-day Israel governmental system is modeled off of ours. That's pretty compelling. That's pretty wonderful, do we? That's right. That's right. Um, I, I watched an interesting... Anybody watch any of Ray Comfort's videos, Living Waters? Anybody? Raise your hand. You don't have to be ashamed of that. This is a good thing. He, he does some wonderful work. Um, he recently put out a video. I, I don't know the name of it, but he put out a video and said the word Hamas actually shows up three times in the Bible, in the original language. Do you know what? Each time the word Hamas, when it shows up in the Bible, it literally means evil or wicked. Yep. <laughs> Bingo! I mean they knew what they were doing when they named themselves, okay? Sometimes it's if the shoe fits. Yes, Miss Karen. God gave that land to Israel. Yes. The Bible. Yes. And was the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's right. The Arabs said no. Ishmael. That's correct. Was the chosen. Yeah. Son. And so that's why they believe that. The yeah. Yeah, And it's hard for us, 2,500 years later, to say, who's right? Except for we who believe the Bible and know it's been proven true. Knowing that the Quran, which is not from the Bible, it's not even an addendum or addition to the Bible. uh, They would claim their lineage through Ishmael. You're correct. Oh, by the way, the consequences of flesh. That's another message for another day. When Abraham made that choice, it had... Long-lasting impact. And the Bible says, God says of Ishmael that he'll be a wild man and his hand will be against many. And it is still today. Good. All right. Mom, you got another one? I do. They have one of the most sophisticated intelligence in the whole world. Oh, that is true. Take it from two of us that worked at the CIA. Can I tell you a secret? When I worked at the Pentagon and we did the computer service, do you know what we were not allowed to do? We could not buy equipment for the United States government from an Israeli company because they knew that the Mossad was going to be listening, watching, and doing anything. And so every time we went to buy servers, they were the best, they were the most secure, and they usually were the cheapest, but we as a contractor could not buy from them. You're exactly right. They are the most sophisticated. Yes, sir. Oh, man. that Now, that is a line of history I don't know. Brother Joe, I'm off on that one. Yeah, he, he funded the, right there the, what could have been the tipping point. Okay, we could just name him Abraham. He was never repaid. Okay, yeah. And, you know, if it been for him, we wouldn't be a country. Yeah. We'd still be under him. Was it Benjamin Rush? I, I can't remember. Yeah, name. I can't either. David Barton, if you ever watch his videos, he's got some great, great videos on American history and American culture. Go watch David Barton. He'll probably tell us which one that is. Good. So, here's the point. In a crowd our size, on a Sunday evening, we can kind of come up with a few answers as to why we should support a state of Israel. I have long believed in my life, I cannot throw my hat into the ring or my name behind something unless I believe it. Would you literally stand up and say, I'll die for supporting Israel? Would you? I mean, if it's in the Bible, you ought to be willing to. I hope it doesn't come to that. But That's the end of the logic and the reasoning. There's a couple of reasons that I want to give to you tonight. I want to frame Israel's state from creation to the present tonight so that we may look next week in greater depth at our response in reality to the unfolding events that are going on around us today. The state of Israel in your notes begins with God's covenants with Israel. Many of you mentioned these covenants with Israel tonight. God makes four covenants, by the way, he makes more than four covenants, but these four covenants are the only four covenants that God makes outside of salvation with us, a promise with us, that are unconditional covenants. And what that means is if it's an unconditional covenant, it means he himself is the guarantor of the covenant. All of the covenant rests on him. He gives four to Israel and to Israel alone. Now, it's through their lineage and it's through their history, but we're going to look at those tonight so that we can set the table and understand just why God loves them. And by the way, let me give you a sneak peek. We don't know why God loves them. If you look at their history in the Bible, it's a pretty ugly history. By the way, if somebody was writing an Old Testament about America, it would probably be pretty ugly in certain spots too. But simply put, we don't know why he loves them. He chose to love them. We begin with the first covenant, and anybody know the name of it? What is it called? Abrahamic covenant. Somebody said it good. This is like teach the teacher night. This is great. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. If you know anything about Genesis, 1 through 11 takes you from creation all the way up to the line uh, of Seth that brings us to Terah and Terah ultimately to Abram. And God says to Abraham in calling Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, he says this in verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee. If that's not underlined in your Bible, you should turn there and underline it. That's your simple answer why you support Israel. And if you don't want to hear anything else, you can get up and walk out now. I don't suggest you do. I think you'll enjoy the rest of it, but you can. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee, in you, Abraham, and in this line and this nation, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This unconditional promise to Abraham is the covenant relationship that God chose to make with Abraham. And it was the birthright to his descendants. By the way, when you come and read of Esau and Jacob, Romans 9 has a great write-up on that in a sense of historical fact. But when you read the actual story in the book of Genesis, Esau wanted the temporal realm. He didn't care about the eternal birthright that came with this promised covenant. And that's what was so egregious about Esau's selling of the birthright. <clears throat> he treated it as if it was nothing to him. And what God says is, listen, I stepped out of eternity and decided to make a pact, a promise with your father, for him his grandfather, and that grandfather passed it to your father and your father is passing it to you. And Esau said, it doesn't matter. It was a light thing to him, the Bible said. <clears throat> but not to Jacob. Now, we know Jacob was a deceiver and a supplanter and a swindler in his own right. But Jacob understood the value of the eternal birthright. He understood the eternal over the temporal. We find then that God makes a second covenant. In chapter 12 of Genesis, if you are turned there, it would continue. You could also find more of this in verse, uh, chapter 13 and verse 15, in chapter 17 and verses 7 and 8. It is another covenant. What is the second covenant? What do you think it would be? The land. Somebody said the land, right? It actually has a name. What is that region called even to this day? There is the Israelis and the Somebody said it real loud. All right, remember this morning, we are not Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 right. The Palestinians. So it's a Palestinian covenant. It is not with the people, the Palestinians. It is about the land of Palestine. It is that region. It is that area. Here's what he says in Genesis 12 and verse 7. And by the way, the region that is Palestine is far larger than we can imagine. Genesis 12 and verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. He said, That's all we get. That's all you get. God simply said to him, That land is your land. They didn't have to sing, This land is my land. This land is your land. They could just sing, This land is my land, it's ours. So when we see today that Israel has no control over the West Bank, they have no control over the Gaza Strip, that their reach ends at the Jordan River, which it should go far beyond the Jordan River, all the way over to the Euphrates River, all the way up to Damascus in Syria, and all the way down to the Sinai. Do you realize that everywhere that Abraham set his foot, in that region that is the Palestinian covenant, that area is bigger than Texas, and it's nearly the size of Alaska. That's massive. That is huge. Or as one president used to say, huge. That's a big area. The Palestinian covenant is what is causing the problems today. Uh, Except for the most ardent of Hezbollah and Hamas, and the most radical in the Iranian regime, Most even of the descendants of Ishmael don't want them completely dead. But the most ardent and radical want them annihilated, wiped from the face of the earth. That's what they're chanting in our capital in this country. It's amazing to me. Most of the world doesn't care about the Abrahamic covenant. They say, fine, if that's what you want. But they care about the land. God promised them a land. And I can tell you this, that when God promises a land, that land is yours. What is the third covenant then? It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. Now, do put your thinking cap on for a second. First Samuel is about Samuel and it's about King Saul. And at the end, it become, or as Saul is passing and King David comes on the scene, what is it called? The Davidic covenant. It's the Davidic covenant. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled. God is talking directly to King David here. By the way, if you were to rank order the sins of David and King Saul, who had the worst of the sins? Let's just be honest. David. But to whom did God promise A line forever. King David, why? Because he was a man, though he was a sinner, he was a man whose heart was after God. King Saul's sins are not as egregious often in tone, but they are as bad, if not worse, in the fact that it never seemed to bother him that he sinned. So the covenant is with David, but it is the line of Israel. It is the line, if you will, continuing from Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant is about the promise of blessing. There is the Palestinian covenant, which is the promise of the land. We find in the Davidic covenant, there is a promise given to David and it passes to Solomon after him that his line would never cease, it would never cut off, it would be an eternal throne. Here's what he says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bells, and I will establish his kingdom. If you were to keep reading in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you would see that this kingdom would be an eternal kingdom. Why? Because Jesus Christ would ultimately be born through that line of David, the root of Jesse. What do you think the fourth covenant is that we have listed here? This one's always the toughest one. If you think and you put your thinking cap on, you you can kind of work your way through it. Jeremiah 31, what do we think that one's about? Maybe this one hasn't happened yet, if that gives you any help. Even if you're a smarty pants and know-it-all, go ahead and yell it out, because we want the service to keep moving. Yes, the millennial. There is a millennial covenant that God makes with Israel. Let's uh, test our prophecy knowledge here. And man, that is a dangerous thing Uh, because uh, there's one thing I told Scott before church that I hate. I, I love the Bible and I love prophecy. I hate talking about in great debates over prophecy because there's always nuances of difference that people have, but there is truth in the word of God. And in the millennial kingdom, who is going to be reigning? Who's going to be the king? Jesus. All right, we got that one right. Hallelujah. And where is he going to be reigning from? All right, so let's stop for a second and put today's world uh, events in context. Are we worried that Jerusalem is going to be overrun and that the Jews will never be able to sit on the throne in Jerusalem again? No. But, 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 no. No. Listen, I I hate to tell you this, but if you get nervous about world events and stuff like that, do you get nervous about your salvation? The same truth, the same statements of fact that apply to the saving of your soul are the same kinds of truths and facts that talk about what the end times will bring forth. We shouldn't worry about them. I mean, again, we're not sitting around going, well, doesn't matter how it happens. No, it'll matter. But we're not in control of them. And so we can just trust in them. That's what we did for our salvation. You weren't in control of it. You asked Jesus to save you from your sins. Did he? Yes. Does he eternally keep you secure? Yes, the Bible teaches. So we don't worry about that. Why do we worry about the end times? The millennial covenant is found in Jeremiah 31. It is a wonderful read. By the way, reading Jeremiah is a labyrinth of a maze of understanding. If you are a rookie Christian, if you are still growing in maturity and you say, well, by gumbo, Kyle said, Jeremiah's about the millennial covenant. I'm going to go read it. You may. The Bible's yours and the spirit of God will guide you into all truth. John 16 tells us. But when you go into it, you have to be very careful, especially in Jeremiah and especially in Isaiah and especially in Ezekiel. But here's what the Bible says when we come to Jeremiah 31 in verse 31. Behold. The days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. In other words, both kingdoms, as we'll see in just a few moments, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. By the way, if you turn there in your Bible, you should make a note. That is the next point in our outline. We're coming to it. But the millennial covenant that he's making here, he's saying this covenant is not like the one that I gave to the fathers in Egypt and the ones that he gave to his father, the fathers in Egypt as they came out in the Exodus. There was some stipulations with it, let's just say. It was not unconditional like these covenants are. He says, "...which my covenant they break, although I was an husband to them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord!" For they shall all know me, God says, from the least, that is the youngest infant of them, unto the greatest of them, the most learned, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. This is an application directly to Israel about the millennial covenant that will be theirs when Jesus Christ comes and sets his foot on this earth, according to Zechariah chapter 12. We cannot begin to understand in these four covenants why God would choose to make them beginning with Abraham, then to David, and even still to a wayward people in Jeremiah's day. But all we can say to these things is that he has. This is His grace, and this is by His choosing. It leads us to a second conversation piece about the state of Israel, and that is this, God's conditions for survival. Now, we just said that there's four covenants that are unconditional and dependent upon Him, and they are rock solid. They will not change. But is it, was Israel a people... Through the 1500s and the 1600s and the 1700s and the 1800s until 1948 and even up till May 1st, were they a people? And the answer is, well, they were a scattered people, but they weren't a people in a land. So there was a promise that God made to them that was not unconditional, but conditional. You can take your Bibles and we will not read it because it is lengthy. For example, chapter 28 has 65, 66 verses in it. But if you were to read Deuteronomy chapter 29 through Deuteronomy chapter 32, you would read in this long passage that is given from Moses a conditional covenant for the survival of Israel in their land. It comes to the choice in the condition. If we could, we'll just take a, a parachute drop into chapter 30 of this section of Deuteronomy, and we'll understand the condition that God gives. Moses lays it out very carefully. He says in verse number 15 of Deuteronomy 30, see, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce, or I declare, I am giving you a verdict right now in advance. I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely, what? No. Oh. Well, I thought they had some unconditional covenants. They did. And they do. But them being a unified people in a unified land had some conditions set upon it. He goes on, And that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, he says, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may what? Live that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Let me ask you today, is Israel a truly religious people following Yahweh, Jehovah, God of heaven? No. No. I mean, there are some devout Hasidic Jews. There are some Jews who are very religious. But most of the Jews who are spread across the world today are very Zionist in nature. Not all of them, but many of them are. And the term or the terminology uh, Zionist is one who wants the establishment of Israel, but not necessarily with the parameters of God leading them. When we hear that sometimes, we think, well, that must be a good thing. And the answer is, It's not. They want Israel, but they want Israel without God. They're like Christians that want Christianity without Christ. It doesn't work. It never will. They were to choose life in this passage. This starts with an awareness of God. It follows with an attitude of love. And it finishes, according to Moses, with an act or acts of obedience to him. Israel had a choice in every generation to obey and hold to their God or reject him and embrace the gods that surrounded them. Joshua ultimately gives that ultimatum at the end of his time of conquest in the promised land by telling them that they had to choose. As for me and my house... We're going to serve the Lord. It boils down to that. It leads us then to a third thought for this evening, and that is their crimes. What are their crimes? I put them there for you. Refusal and rejection. We're going to come back to this in just a few moments, but God warned them not to depart. In the passage just before where we read, we'll come back to in a few moments in our next point. In Deuteronomy 28, God told them, This is what's going to happen when you depart. This is what life is going to be like. It's going to stink. It's going to be rotten. You're not going to like it. But you're going to deserve every moment of it. The state of Israel, and here's a map for that. The state of Israel crumbled into two pieces because of disobedience and dysfunction after King Solomon. Rehoboam and Jeroboam became the leaders of the respective tribes. Ten of the northern kingdom, two of the southern kingdom. Each of those kingdoms was subsequently conquered and taken into captivity. Israel, the northern kingdom, was in 722 by Assyria, and Judah was starting in 607 B.C. by the Babylonians. I always think it's interesting in this map that the Gaza Strip seemingly has always been a problem for Israel. It seems like there is nothing new under the sun. Those old Philistines, what I would call the present-day Palestinians lived down there in Ashdod and Ashkelon in Gaza even to this day. These verses became, began to come true in the fruition 700 years from Deuteronomy 28, what God said would happen when they rejected Him, 700 years later. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 13. He says this, by the way, it's 721 B.C. Deuteronomy 28 was written in 1451 B.C. He says yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers saying turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets notwithstanding they would not hear but hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God their refusal to obey God in 721, 722, and 607 B.C., led to their outright rejection of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, when he came. We could recount that Israel was the one who denied Jesus and believed their religion. Here's an excellent passage. I could give you one after another after another in the Gospels. Here is a summary statement by Peter in Acts chapter 3. He and John have just healed at the beautiful gate. They've gone into the temple and they begin to preach to convince them that Jesus Christ is God. Here's what John says beginning in verse number 14. But ye have denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead. Whereof we, Peter says, are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man, this man healed at the beautiful gate, strong. Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through the ignorance ye did it. I'm, I'm supposing, I, and it's tongue-in-cheek here, I'm supposing that through ignorance you did this. As did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer... He hath so fulfilled. Repent ye, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. By the way, that statement, the restitution of all things, we're living in it. The restitution is at hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, I realize this is a thinking message, but you're doing well. You're staying with me. Only half of you look confused and bamboozled at this point. You're doing great. But this is the time of restitution. Which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Their rejection of God... Broke the condition of protection from God, oh, it didn't break the unconditional covenants. those are still in effect. And what we see, if you were to read very carefully, Romans chapter 11, you would see that the wild branch of the church that has been grafted in is going to be replaced by the olive branch as it's restored. and that 's got what God wants to do, not because he doesn't love us of the church age, but he wants all things to come to their fullness. It leads us to another point. After their crimes, there is the consequence of their sin. Deuteronomy chapter 28 is great. By the way, I have used this before. I always like to take some of the guys that are in their teenage years or in their 20s, if I do discipleship with them or I take some time to think with them, I give them, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 32 or it's 32 and verse 28. I can't remember exactly which one off the top of my head. But it says that God will bring the Jews back together even from the heavens. And I said, you know, God knew there was going to be space travel even before there was space travel. Why would he put that in the Bible, that he would gather them even from the heavens? Perhaps there's going to be An Israelite on the space station. By the way, they've gone to the space station. The latest SpaceX launch brought one back from the space station. A Jewish astronaut to the space station. So even God in his word can even figure out the little wrinkles of things. Oh, he didn't think about that. Well, he's thought about everything. It's just amazing how true the Bible is. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 28. Speaking of the consequences. This is again at 1451 B.C. And we are living in 2023. This is 3,400 years ago. He's writing this of what would happen to them in 722 and in 607 BC, respectively, for the northern and the southern. These are the consequences for rejecting and refusing God. For breaking that conditional covenant or promise God gave to them. He said, If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful. And by the way, the word wonderful here doesn't mean like, Oh, I got a wonderful Christmas present. It means they are horrific. They will be so bad that you will say, Oh, they will be atrocities that you are watching and hearing about on the news and of the long continuance, and sore sickness, and of long continuance. In other words, it's going to keep going on and on. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of the law. Then will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed, and ye shall be left few in number. Now this came true certainly in the Babylonian captivity. But it is true today. It was true after World War II. Whereas ye were as the stars of heaven from multitude, because thou wouldest not obey the voice of the Lord thy God, and it shall come to pass, that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you, and to bring you to naught or nothing, and ye shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it, and the Lord shall what scatter thee among all people from the end of the earth even unto the other, and there shall and there thou shalt serve other gods which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. These people in the these dispersed lands act and live like every other person in those lands that they find themselves. These. Israelites. They are no different, according to God. There is no distinction. By the way, in Israel today, the secularism is rampant. They highly promote homosexuality. They are secularist and humanist to the core. That doesn't mean that it can't change when they realize the blessing of God and the promises that are theirs, but that's who they have been. They have been scattered and served other gods, even of their own making. The final consequence of their rejection was the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy in Luke 21, verses 5 and 6, where he describes the fact that Jerusalem literally by the Roman Empire will be torn apart brick by brick, and they are. You can go to the Western Wall, you can go to Jerusalem now on the Temple Mount, and you can see the stones that the Roman Empire in A.D. 70 literally took apart and threw over the edge, not knowing that they were keeping Jesus' words, but God did. I'll put a couple maps up here for us. I think this is probably where we will make it tonight. We might get to the America part. This is a map I found of Jews and Christians, but mainly Jewish settlements in the Roman Empire during the first, second, and third centuries AD. Look at that. They go as far as London in their cities, in their diaspora, in their spreading across the world. They get up to Germania, they're in Gaul or France. They're in Hispania, they're in Dalmatia, or up through the northern part of Turkey. They go around, interestingly enough, on the Black Sea. It should not shock you that the Ukrainian president tonight is a Jew. Some of you went, <gasps> yes. He was born there. His, apparently, if you look at their history and their, their, the, the, uh, of his family... Zelensky's Jewish roots go in the Ukrainian or the Ural Mountain regions back about 60 generations. That's a long time. Well, not that long. It goes back to this time. There's a reason God works world events and how they come together, what they're all about. I'm, again, not saying one's right, one's wrong, and and the validity of engaging in any of them. I'm simply saying all of these events about the state of Israel, were foretold, and they are for our learning. Now let's look at the next map here. I have them in front of me because, one, I can't read anymore as I get older. (laughs) I need my rec specs out here, and I'll put them on. This map, it may be hard for you to read, but it's... Essentially, is talking about here where in 722, when the Assyrians took the ten tribes of Israel, where they took them into captivity. The first movement is from where Israel is, that dot, over to Assyria or Parthia. In 55 and 63 BC, and then again over in London or in Britain, in 60 and 61 BC, tribes of Jews or dispersed Jews from the first captivity in Assyria, from the northern tribes, they began to move their way through Europe. The Israelites ultimately settled, number three, around the Black Sea after Parthia was overthrown. In the third century, they began migrating north and east toward modern-day France and Germany. During the 5th century, the Israelites in Europe migrated to the British Isles where they, were, where they joined other Israelites who traveled there prior to the Assyrian captivity. And ultimately, what country did they come to? Let's see the next map here. Here is just a. This is not my surmisings where they go. This is uh, some of the Jews, some of the religious sects of Jews still tried to find out and remember and know where each of their tribes are. And the tribes are highlighted here. I, I didn't have a color key that I could come up with. But the blue in Scandinavia is Asher. The orange is Naphtali. Now, this is not me preaching and saying this is where I know they went. This is some of their people who have tried to keep the best records of where their tribes spread out, those ten northern tribes. It's fascinating to me. Fascinating. Is it 100% factual? I don't know. It's fascinating to me. If you go on and you read, you see that in Ephraim, it's in, that's the pink in Great Britain, Manasseh went to, it went to the Americas, the United States of America. Now, I'm not saying every Jewish person that lives in America is of the tribe of Manasseh. What I'm saying is, as tribes, as peoples, they predominantly moved in this direction. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you read the promise that Jacob makes as he's dying, Israel makes, to Manasseh, the son of Joseph, what does he say? He calls him a fruitful bough. I think that's him or it's Ephraim, one of the two. But both of those boys have a great idea of protection for others. Man, that is fascinating. Again, is it factual? I don't know. Sometimes as a pastor, I will always tell you my opinion. It's an interesting opinion, isn't it? You mean Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could see us? No, they had no knowledge of what those words meant, but God did. That's why they're divine. That's why they're recorded in the word of God for us. It is unbelievably fascinating. What leads us to a final thought then that we'll get to tonight, and that is, you can skip right to the next point, that God's conduits of refuge and restoration. Who do you think, and I think I put them in your notes here, so it's a little anticlimactic, to be honest with you. If I was a better pastor, I would have left that out like a question mark. Who do you think they are? If they first in their refuge, ended up in Europe, it stands to reason that that area, those regions, were places of safe haven for them to be, Europe. Now, it is said that the tribe of Benjamin may have gone down to South Africa. They were Africaners. Are you an Afrikaner? All right, Edward is. Glory! He's a tribe of Benjamin. Is he, are you left-handed? No, okay. So the tribe of Benjamin didn't end up there. Germany, Netherlands, Great Britain, places where, that were colonized. Now, listen, we hear today that colonization is a horrible thing. And certainly there was some wickedness that went on in certain conquering colonizers. But where Christianity was the heart of the efforts to take the gospel and to explore the unknown world, there was great good done for the savages who lived there. I can't believe you're saying that. Well, the Bible calls them barbarians when Paul talks of them in the book of Romans. But ultimately, it's, it's to the United States of America. When Israel was built in a day, restored in a day, and the Bible in prophecy says that they, it will be, and we'll talk about that next week. It was restored, literally, can a nation be born a day? And the answer is yes, Israel was. It was reborn in one day with one stroke of the pen at the United Nations, and it was the backing of NATO. And who, after World War II in 1948, was the chief power behind NATO? One U.S. of A. U.S.A. We could do that if we wanted to. I don't know if Lee Greenwood will come down singing God God Bless the USA, but it would be a wonderful time for it. I will end with this thought. My belief is that the rise of America, a nation built upon the Bible and with a population that until recent days knew morally and ethically what was right and wrong, has arisen for the sole purpose of ensuring that Israel be restored. I believe it's been God's intention from the beginning. Amen. In the, in the late 1800s, America was driven by manifest destiny, right? This is far better than manifest destiny. It's manifest purpose. We know why we exist. America has seemingly forgotten why we exist, to serve God, to honor Him, to do His will. As I mentioned in the opening, we're not mentioned anywhere in prophecy, I mean, literally, everyone else is mentioned by people groups or by regions, but not the greatest present-day military superpower and economic force. Not mentioned. You want to know how sure I am that everyone's mentioned? Every player that's supposed to be on a team, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, in Daniels 9 and 10, every player, every world power, every group, every single one of them is on the right team. If you were to go and look and read that list and say, who's supposed to be with the king of the north? Who's supposed to be with the king of the south? They're all lined up. The coach has got them in the right spot. They are literally ready to act because there is divine power behind all of it that has chosen to bless the state of Israel. As we close tonight, our thoughts, I'll foreshadow a little bit. Next week, we're going to see the coming reality for Israel. So what's next? Oh, that's fun. If I, if I open it to the floor next week, Edward will probably talk for a while, won't he, Dana, on what is next? Oh, man, in the office, this ear gets chewed and this one gets burned up. It's, oh, brother, it's near. The other day, he said a hallelujah so loud that I thought the roof was going to fall in. I had work to do. I was working on an email and I was like, glory. I mean, he's ready for the end. We'll look next week at their challenge of the tribulation. It is called Jacob's trouble. and it, will be tr- it is wrath for the rest of the world, but it is trouble for them because the whole world hunts them. They have to hide in hobbit holes in tiny little places. Wherever they can find survival, it is not going to be a pretty sight for them. We will see next week their champion. Who is their champion? Jesus. He's their champion. By the way, isn't it a great thing? He's our champion, too. And then we will finally look at their crown everlasting. Is there a place for them in eternity future, according to the word of God and revelation? Yeah. You mean God loves them that much? Oh, absolutely. By the way, for those of us who are part of the wild branch in Romans chapter 11 that are grafted into the olive tree, we have many of the same blessings, while we don't have all of the same promises. But man, it's good to have some of those blessings. It's good to know that a God who is faithful to his word to a people like Israel is faithful to us as we follow God as well. I hope I haven't bored you tonight. Uh, This is one of those topics is as soon as you go into it, uh, it's not quite prophecy, but it borders on it. So I hope it's been encouraging for you and i will make one final suggestion just turn the news off in our house we have the youtube tv i could watch fox news and newsmax and all of the others that i wanted to watch i could watch all of it all day and i would come away as feeling as grimy as the day is long because there are some terrible people out there well pastor i got to know about them they're not in georgetown Right? I'm not suge- suggesting that we are the bastion of hope, but they're not in Georgetown. Right, They're not in Cynthiana. They're not in Stamping Ground. That doesn't mean they can't be here, and it doesn't mean there's not people here that have those views. The point is, is that we're to go out and share Christ with them. If the end is that close away, I mean a hair's breadth away, people that need Jesus need him more now than ever. It should be a reason for us to share our faith with anybody that we come in contact with. Father, help us as we close our thoughts tonight. I thank you for the Bible. World events never take you by surprise, it's one of the great truths of omniscience. Our finite minds, our feeble and frail humanity, cannot understand how you understand everything, but you do. And we're glad for that. God, we know that as much as you love Israel because of the faith of Abraham, that we, according to Romans 4, exercise the same faith towards Jesus Christ in the salvation. And because of that, we have a righteousness imputed to us just like Abraham had righteousness imputed to him. And so while the covenants to Abraham are not our covenants in the church, there are a lot of promises you have made us. I pray that we would live within them. The great comfort that we have that you knew in making those promises to Abraham and then to Abraham about the land and then to David and then in Jeremiah to the people who would be scattered but come back together and even beyond us will live in that land in full health. Those promises are true and amen. They're settled. That gives us hope that you're a God who is also omnipotent as much as you are omniscient. Help us to trust in you. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficult things that we have to see and hear. There, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be great difficulty that Israelites will have to live through. But It does mean that you love them. And then ultimately and in the end, your grace will provide for them. God, help us, I pray. Help us to take the truth of the gospel. We, we haven't preached on it today, both in the morning and the evening. That is a rare Sunday around here to not preach on some aspect of the gospel. But the gospel is still true. It drives us to work and it drives us to understanding your promises. So God, as we go out, help us to take the light to a lost world. Those who are in darkness those of us who have life, may we go and find those who are in condemnation and in death and share with them the hope of Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.